Good morning. Please open your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. Trey read the text for us this morning. But as you uh, find Nehemiah 6 again, welcome to Saline County and uh, our church's first Lord's Day here. I don't know if you were up as early as I was up this morning, but it was a very beautiful sunrise and it looks like it's going to be a very beautiful day out there. I'm thankful for that. Uh, while you're turning to Nehemiah chapter 6, let me give you a little background and a little history. Saline County was formed November the 2nd, 1835. And for you young folks, I wasn't there that day. I didn't get to see it, but I've read about it. That was over 186 years ago. You may not know that Saline County contains the very geographic center of Arkansas. And in case you're wondering, right now the population of Saline County is just a little bit over 126,000 folks. And by population, Saline is the seventh largest county in the state of Arkansas. Saline County's grown almost 40% in the last 15 years. 40% in the last 15 years. And the Benton Bryant area is constantly one of the top one, two, or three fastest growing areas anywhere in the state of Arkansas. Judging by area, Saline is just the 26th largest of Arkansas's 75 counties and it covers 723 square miles. And no, I'm not preaching yet, this is just the introduction. Uh, according to the calendar on the internet that I looked at last night, there have been 68,031 sunrises in Saline County before the one that we experienced here this morning, 68,031 sunrises. I'm sure that many of them were just as beautiful as the one we experienced this morning, and undoubtedly there were even some that were more gorgeous than the one that we experienced. However, however, the sun rose here this morning on something new and different. Something new and different is in Saline County. To the best of my knowledge, for the very first time in history, the sun rose on the Doctrines of Grace Baptist Church that makes its home here. There are men in this room that have preached doctrines of grace sermons to congregations in Saline County. I could be wrong, but to the very best of my knowledge, this is the first time the sun has risen on a church that is a Baptist doctrines of grace church that claims Saline County for its home. Now, <laughs> praise God. Praise God. We are a small church, but we are a church. We're a local church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe that the local church is the primary means that God uses to call His elect out of darkness into light. We believe that the local church is the primary means that God uses to mature His children and to equip them to do the work of the ministry. We are a Baptist church. And in the Baptist historic tradition, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of each of His churches, including this one. We are an autonomous body. We are not controlled by any convention, not by any presbytery, not by a synod or a district or a diocese or any other ecclesiastical or civil authority. We are an autonomous body. We answer to Jesus Christ alone. We believe that this Bible is the inspired Word of God, that it is sufficient, the Scriptures are sufficient, and that the Word of God is the final authority upon all things that it speaks. We are a congregationally governed church. There is no man and there are no men that run this church. We are a congregationally governed church. We believe in 
and we strive for regenerate church membership. We believe in and we strive for regenerate church membership. We believe and teach that the ordinance of baptism is properly performed by dipping. And we strongly hold to the separation of church and state in a long line of our Baptist forefathers. There are many other Baptist traditions and distinctives that are a part of us, but those are among some of the ones that are most commonly transgressed. Beyond being a Baptist church, we're a Doctrines of Grace church. I want to say loudly this morning and not be misunderstood that we believe that the Scriptures clearly teach that all men are totally depraved and spiritually dead and helpless in their natural condition and will die under the wrath of God unless God graciously intervenes in their life. We believe that God has unconditionally elected a people in Christ Jesus unto salvation before the foundation of the world. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ actually accomplished salvation for His people at the cross, and that all for whom He died without exception will experience the grace of God in salvation. We believe that the Spirit of God irresistibly draws the people of God to Christ, and that all who experience the new birth will be preserved by God and persevere unto the end. None that the Father has given the Son will be lost. Something new is beginning here this morning. Brothers and sisters, our work has not ended. Our work has only begun. This is a new beginning. It's the beginning of a pioneer work in a new area. It's a pathfinding work. It's a great work, and it will be hard work. And I want to say to you, beloved, those of you that, that I have worshipped with for the last, oh, some of you over eight years now, those of you that are relatively new to this congregation but have made the trip to Saline County, I'm proud of you. And I'm proud to be here with you. I'm proud to be one of you. I look out there this morning and I see committed brothers and sisters determined to being pioneers and pathfinders in a dark place. I see men and women that are faithful to God and loyal to one another. I have friends here that are reliable and dependable and steadfast. I see solid folks that are devoted to this new work and enthusiastic about getting it started. I have brothers and sisters here this morning that are ready to sacrifice for the great work that the Lord our God has set before us. The work will be hard, and I trust that by God's grace we will persevere for His glory. Today is no different than other ages, however. Doing pioneer work is difficult. Seems like it's Always been the pioneers that take the arrows. Not everybody's cut out to be a pioneer. Those from among us that have chosen to remain and not come with us will miss those challenges and they'll miss those arrows. But they'll also miss the blessings and the reward of this pioneer work that the Lord would have us undertake. Beloved, make no mistake, we will encounter opposition. Let me say that again. Make no mistake, we will encounter opposition. All the people of God in every age should expect opposition to the work of God from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And as we have seen in the first five chapters, and we will see again today in chapter 6, Nehemiah experienced opposition to the work that God had given him to do. I propose to talk about that today in three points. The opposition of the work God commissioned Nehemiah to perform, Nehemiah's response to that opposition, and the great work that God has given us to do. I would like to reread Nehemiah 6, verses 1 through 4. Then we'll pray and get started. 
Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gate, Sanballat and Geshem said to me, or sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakaparim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Father, we stand before you this morning a grateful people. Father, we thank you for the, the heritage of our Baptist forefathers. We thank you for the heritage that comes to us down through the years of those that know that salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, and Jesus Christ alone. Father, we thank you that even through the pain of it, that in your providence that you have led us to the Holiday Inn at the Alcoa exit right here this morning. Father, we recognize and realize that what we're doing here is not the end of anything, it is the beginning of something new. Father, as we undertake this pioneer work, I pray that you would encourage us from Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning. Father, we're in a way different uh, time and place from Nehemiah, but some of these principles never change. And I pray that your spirit would be present to take those principles and apply them to our heart. Father, give them, give them to us and give us courage as we hear them to go forward in the work, this great work that you have set before us for the glory of Christ and the good of men and women's souls. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The opposition to the work. The opposition to the work that Nehemiah faced. The opposition to the work that God had given to Nehemiah. Notice, the opponents of God tried to distract Nehemiah from his work. The purpose of that, of course, was to stop him from doing God's work. The walls were relatively rebuilt. This was their last opportunity to get Nehemiah to shut it down before he put the gates in the walls. In verse 2 we read that first they attempted to deceive him. That didn't work. Verse 6 we read that they lied and they spread rumors about what he was doing. That didn't work. He remained focused. He remained focused. In verse 7 they threatened him and they did their best to intimidate him. God give us men like Nehemiah that won't be intimidated. In verse 10 we see that, that from the inside they attempted to attack him. They sent a false prophet, maybe more than one, to make him fear for his life and to frighten him into sinning against God by taking refuge in the temple. Nehemiah wouldn't do it. And that was a long time ago. And the work that Nehemiah was doing was slightly different from the work that we've been called to do today. He was stacking rubble. At least he was supervising it. What we ought to recognize and realize out of all this is this, is that all the people of God in every age should expect opposition to the work of God from the world and from the devil. Think with me for just a moment. Satan deceived Eve and led to the rebellion against God of Adam. Cain murdered his brother Abel, didn't he? The world scoffed and mocked Noah before the world, the unbelieving world, was destroyed by the judgment of God in a worldwide catastrophic flood. It seems like our spiritual forefather Abraham met opposition everywhere he went. Isaac was opposed by Ishmael. Jacob lived under the threat from his brother Esau. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Moses and the Hebrews were opposed 
They were threatened and they were pursued by Pharaoh and the entire Egyptian army. Then, after God had destroyed the Egyptians and let them wander in the desert for 40 years, they faced opposition and war and death, the Hebrews did, at every turn on the way to the land that God had promised them. And once they got there, the spiritual component of that opposition only intensified. Nearly every one of the Old Testament prophets of God were opposed by the people that God had sent to them, or sent them to. Even our Lord Jesus Himself faced opposition unto death from the Jewish religious leaders of His day. And let us not forget what He told His disciples in John chapter 15. He said, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Whether it's civil leaders, whether it's religious leaders, whether it's just rank atheists, whoever it is that are opposing us in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, are doing so in a long tradition of their forefathers. They're doing it because they hate God, they hate God's Word, and they hate God's people. They do not know God. But notice, beloved, that even in the face of the fiercest opposition that all these folks in the Bible faced, it was true in their lives and it will be true in our lives as well. Many of us can look back on events in our life and know this is true, that even in the face of the very fiercest opposition, in every instance, the ultimate purpose of God was accomplished. God was glorified, and the people of God were blessed. That was the opposition to the work that Nehemiah was doing. Let's think for a moment now about Nehemiah's response to the opposition as our second point. They tried to distract him, but Nehemiah feared God. He would not be distracted. He remained focused. Nehemiah saw through the deceit, and he replied that he was doing a great work and would not stop and come down. Notice, Nehemiah understood that he was doing a great work. Therefore, he could not come down. He would not come down. He would not cease the great work that he was doing. What was the great work that he was doing? Well, in the eyes of the world, he was supervising a ragtag bunch of folks that were stacking rubble up making openings in it to hang some doors. It didn't look all that impressive. Particularly in light of the fact that the world's view of Nehemiah was that he was a rather odd character, as a matter of fact. He may have had a great job. He may have had great work at one time. He may have undertaken some things that were significant. You see, he was the cupbearer for the king. Now, he was in the king's inner circle. He had the king's ear. He may even control the door to some degree or another. He was in a position of trust, in a position of power, in a kingdom. And something got in him. He gave all that up. He walked away from that. He turned his back on what the world said was important. Power and prestige and respect. People envied him. He left all that to go and supervise folks stacking rubble. But he understood this. He understood this. That the work that he had been called to do was a great work. It was important work. It was honorable work. It was a great work because it was God's work. 
And not just God's work, but it was the work that God had given Nehemiah to do. And by the time the wall was up and the gates remained to be hung, Nehemiah was able to have the perception. God had given him the ability to receive what had been accomplished and what remained to be done. He realized that that the great work was not complete. The walls were complete. The doors were not hung. May God give us the grace to see what has been accomplished and what remains to be done. Beloved, those of you who have worshipped together with us at Midtown Baptist Church for any period over the last ten years and few months, let us never lose sight of the fact that much has been accomplished. On Markham Street between Interstate 430 and University, in numerous places that we have been, some for a very short time, some for a little longer time, there has been much great work done for God. In God's providence, He has closed that chapter of this congregation. He has moved our founding pastor and his wife on to another work. And He has moved us to this great work, this pioneering work in Saline County. Let us not lose sight of what has been accomplished. And let us not lose sight of what remains to be done. When they lied about Nehemiah and spread rumors about what he was doing, I don't know anybody lying about us. I don't know anybody spreading rumors about what we're doing. That could happen. It's not uncommon in the life of God's people. When they lied about Nehemiah, when they spread rumors about what he was doing, he didn't take on the lies and the rumors. He didn't defend himself to these people. He simply replied with the truth. He simply replied with the truth. Now that's a pretty good example, isn't it? (laughs) I've got a... I've got an old pastor friend up in Kentucky. need to get him and my latest pastor together. He said this. He said, never fight a skunk. Never fight a skunk. Even if you win, you're still going to stink. Right? Nehemiah didn't engage the rumors and the innuendo and the lies. He simply told the truth. When they threatened Nehemiah and they did their best to intimidate him, He didn't John Wayne them. He didn't throw his chest out and strut out there among them and say, bring it on, fellas, I'm ready for you. No, what did he do? He prayed to God for strength. In his weakness, he prayed to God for strength. God encouraged him and God strengthened him. When they sent a false prophet to make Nehemiah fear for his life and to frighten him into sinning against God by taking refuge in the temple, he judged that false prophet And he responded from his knowledge of the Word of God. Our first Sunday in Saline County is a good time for you to remember. Never, ever believe anything that I or Trey tell you unless you can find it in this book. You judge everything that we tell you by the Word of God. It is the rule, it is the standard by which men who claim to be preachers and pastors and teachers of God's Word must be judged. Not should be judged, but must be be judged. You cannot judge us against the Word of God if you do not know the Word of God. Nehemiah knew the Word of God. He judged this one as a false prophet because he knew that the Scripture said that only priests could enter the temple and then only at the appropriate time. That's how he knew he was dealing with a false prophet. Here was a man who claimed to be a prophet that was encouraging him to do something that was contrary to the Word of God. Nehemiah judged him by the Word of God. 
At the end of the day, Nehemiah feared God. He understood that he was doing God's work, and he was doing it to the utmost and with conviction. Nehemiah told the truth when confronted with lies and rumors. Nehemiah prayed for strength when he was being confronted with overpowering force. Nehemiah had faith in the Word of God, not in the arm of flesh. Nehemiah persevered in all of these things, and the result was this, the work that God had given him to do was accomplished for the good of God's people and for the glory of God. And third point, I'd like to talk to you for a moment about the great work that God has given us to do. There are plenty of books out there about the role of the church. You can find a few of them in the secular bookstores, and if you go to the religious trinket shops, there are lots of books there about how to grow churches and what churches are supposed to do. I have a tendency to want to go straight to the source. So let's think about Matthew chapter 28 for a moment, where our Lord Jesus commissioned His disciples. And still, the orders have not changed. The commission remains valid for us today, so we'll lay the books aside and we'll look at the book for a little bit. You don't have to turn there, but let me read to you beginning in verse 18 of Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice from this that the Lord Jesus has all the authority that there is. He has all the authority in heaven. He has all the authority on earth. There's no other place to have authority. The authority belongs to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is the sovereign God. What He says goes. He and He alone has the authority to determine the mission of His church. Now, beloved, the mission that we have been sent on, as you look through here, you'll see, the mission that we have been sent on, it's not complex. It's not easy, but it's not complex. You summarize it in three words. Evangelism, discipleship, and ordinances. Christ has commanded His churches to preach the gospel and perform the ordinances that He left us to do. Christ has sent us, He has commissioned us, and He has delegated us with His authority to preach the gospel and perform the two ordinances. We preach the gospel to the lost in order for them to be saved by grace through faith. That's evangelism, isn't it? I'm always disturbed when I attend a church that professes that Jesus Christ is Lord and He's the only way to the Father in heaven and there's salvation in no other name. And you go away and you don't hear the gospel. Well, the gospel's not in Nehemiah chapter 6 in such terms, but I'm going to stop and I'm going to declare the gospel to you the best way that I know how. First, let me give you the bad news. This is, this is the precursor. This is the, the background for the gospel. Every one of us comes into this world 
with a sin nature. We come into this world separated from Almighty God. We come into this world by nature the children of wrath and under the condemnation of God, and there's not a single thing that we can do to help ourselves, even if we could. But we are spiritually dead. We are spiritually blind. We are spiritually deaf. We have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. Now for the good news. Now for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 years ago, Eternal God, the second member of the Godhead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He laid aside the trappings of His glory. He didn't cease to be God for one moment, but He laid aside the trappings and the insignia of His glory, and He left His home in heaven, and He came to this earth, and He was conceived in the womb of a virgin by the power of God's Holy Spirit. He had no earthly father like you and I have. Well, he had no, no sin nature. We've inherited our sin nature from our father. He had no earthly father. He was born in absolute perfection with no sin nature. He nursed at his mother's breast the same way that we did. He grew from infancy into adolescence. He grew into a young man. Somebody taught him a trade. They taught him to be a craftsman. Certainly a carpenter, maybe a stonemason as well. But he knew what it was like to earn his bread by the sweat of his brow. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He's the one man that has ever lived that did not deserve to die. Brother and sister, you and I deserve to die. We've rebelled against God. The Lord Jesus Christ lived in absolute, total, complete submission to the will of the Father the entire time that He was here on this earth. And He came specifically for this reason. He came certainly to reveal the final revelation of Almighty God of Himself to mankind. But think with me for just a moment. If all Christ had done in coming here was reveal Himself to mankind, we'd still be on the road to hell. We need a blood sacrifice to pay for our sin. Jesus Christ came to save His people from their sin. How do you know that? Because that's exactly what the angel of the Lord told Joseph. He said, Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. And I declare to you on the authority of the Word of God, that's exactly what He did this morning, and this is how He accomplished it. He was made to be sin for us. The one who knew no sin had been made sin by God the Father for all of those that God placed in Him before the foundation of the world. Our sin was taken, brother and sister, and imputed to Him. He was made to be sin for us. Those are bold words, but they're not my words. They're the Holy Spirit's words through the Apostle Paul. The Father made Him to be sin for us. And He went to the cross, and as He hung there on that cross, the infinitely holy God-man, Jesus Christ our Lord, in just a few hours, absorbed the totality of the wrath and the fury of God against all the sins of His people. Every single individual sin of every single individual person that Almighty God had placed in Him before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of the Father against those sins, and He put them away from us as far as the east is from the west. And then His final in His final act of association with mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ, having been forsaken by the Father and experienced His wrath, He dismissed His Spirit from His body and He experienced physical death. They took His dead body down from the cross. They laid Him in a stone tomb. They sealed the door. His dead, cold body lay there for parts of three days. And then on the morning of the third day, He did what has never been done before. He absolutely verified and put an exclamation point on the fact that He is who He claimed to be and He accomplished what He came to do. His lungs filled with air. His heart began to beat. His eyes opened. He stood up and He walked out of the tomb alive forevermore. 
And in the next 40 days, he was seen by upwards of 500 of his disciples. And they stood by and they watched as he ascended into the clouds of God's glory, where he is now seated at God's right hand, ever living to make intercession for me and you, my brother in Christ, and from where he's coming again very soon to judge the living and the dead. He's coming physically, visibly, and gloriously to this earth to make things right. That's good news. That's good news. We preach the gospel to the lost in order for them to be saved by grace through faith. That's evangelism. I have a heart for that. We baptize professors of faith in Christ by dipping them in water. That's the first ordinance. We teach the gospel to the saved in order for them to grow in grace in the knowledge of Christ. That is discipleship. And in union with Christ and one another, Believers celebrate the Lord's table in remembrance of Christ and in anticipation of His return. This is the other, the second, and the last of the ordinances. Are there other things that we could be doing? Are there other worthwhile things that we could be doing? The answer to that question is absolutely yes, there are. And by God's grace, if we grow... In the way that we hope to grow, there are other things that we can do. But we will always judge those things by the Word of God. Do they glorify God? Do they evangelize the lost? And are they good for God's people? If we can answer those things, yes, then we'll consider them. Well, there are many things that we ought not be doing that don't fall in that grid. And let us, let us recognize and realize that evangelism... Discipleship and the ordinances are the things that we must do. Those are the things that we have been commissioned to do. Those are the things that we are authorized to do by our Lord. Those are the things that we are duty-bound to do. You see, we have been commissioned and sent with authority to preach the gospel and perform the ordinances. It is our duty. It's not complex, but it's not easy either. As a matter of fact, we can't do it in our own power, can we? Right? Our Lord said, apart from me, you can do nothing, and that's exactly what he meant. Evangelism, discipleship, even understanding and appreciating the ordinances that the Lord God has given us requires the unlimited power of the Lord Jesus to be at work through us in order to accomplish this mission that he's given us. And the connection that we have to that unlimited power is through prayer. We have Unlimited power to His throne of grace, to His throne of mercy. Brothers and sisters, often we have not because we ask not. And sometimes we ask amiss. Let us judge our hearts as individuals and judge our heart as a congregation about the things that we ask for. And let us beseech the Lord our God in prayer to provide the things that we need and to bless the preaching of the gospel, to bless the discipleship of old and young, and bless as we celebrate the ordinances that he has given us. We have a heavy responsibility, but the mission is not dependent upon us. We are simply the means that the Lord Jesus has determined to use. This is important. I want you to pay attention. We're not here to help the Lord Jesus. We're not His helpers. He doesn't need helpers. 
and he won't accept helpers. He doesn't need us to help him. We're not helpers, we're tools. We are the tools. Some of us are very blunt instruments. But nonetheless, even those that are showing a little rust need to be sharpened a little bit, like me. We're the tools that God has determined to use. In other words, we are the means whereby God is calling His elect out of darkness, and we are the means whereby God is growing believers in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. See, all glory goes to the Lord Jesus. All glory goes to the Lord Jesus. We'll be careful and take none of His glory. Well, beloved, let us pray that the Lord will protect us from opposition. But do not be deceived. Those who oppose Christ and those who oppose the gospel that we preach will use any means that they can to hinder us and discourage us from doing the great work that God has given us to do. May we, like Nehemiah, never forget who has commissioned us, the Lord our God. And with constant prayer and reliance upon the Lord our God, may we preach the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord Jesus bless this church with a clear and biblical view of the great work that He has charged us with. May He give us grace to preach and teach in submission and in accordance to the Word of God in total dependence on the Spirit of God to guide us as we do it. And may we always be found preaching the glorious gospel of God's free and sovereign grace in Jesus Christ clearly, boldly, regularly, prayerfully, without apology, and if the time comes that it's necessary, defiantly and unceasingly. May we, by God's grace, fulfill our great work for the glory of Christ. Evangelize the lost. Baptize believers. Disciple them in the Word of God. Celebrate the Lord's table together until He returns in power and glory. This is the great work that God has given us to do. May God give us the grace. May God give us the strength. May God give us the energy and the desire and the perseverance to accomplish that great work for His glory and the souls of men and women and boys and girls in this pioneer work that we have undertaken. May God give us an abundant harvest of souls for His glory. Amen. Our Father, we are thankful and grateful for Jesus Christ, Your Son, whom You sent in order to redeem us from the sin that held us enslaved. We thank You for Your Spirit that advocates on our behalf, who walks alongside us, who comforts us, who encourages us, and who prays on our behalf. Father, we thank You that You don't need our help. Oh, woe would we be if you needed our help. But Father, we thank you that in your providence you have determined to use us as your means of grace to others around us. Father, help us to remember the work that has been accomplished through this little band of believers up until now. And help us not take our eye off of the great work that still lies ahead for us. Father, as we celebrate our first Lord's Day here in Saline County, we thank you for those that are visiting among us. 
We thank you for those that have made the trip all the way to Saline County from Little Rock to be here with us this morning. We ask your blessing on each and every one of them. Lord, we pray that, that you would take uh, uh, the singing, the preaching, the praying, all those things that we've done here this morning, Father, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Use them for his glory and for the good of our souls. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing for